Well, Courtney Vandersloot is on her way to another excellent season with the Chicago Sky. Gonzaga's women's basketball program remains a consistent threat on the West Coast. NIL and the transfer portal are impacting women's basketball significantly. Here to break all of that down is the great Howard Megdahl of Locked On Women's Basketball, all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, more odds, and more lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. I am thrilled to be joined today by Howard Megdahl. Howard is the founder and editor of The Next Hoops, which is a newsroom dedicated to women's basketball. He's also the co host of the Locked On Women's Basketball podcast. Howard, Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. A delightful thing to talk about the Zags anytime and always. Well, I appreciate that. I think the women's basketball program at Gonzaga has been very, very good for a long time. It's difficult to match the uh, the what the men's team has done over the last 20 years, but Kelly Graves and Lisa Fortier over the last decade or so has been a really excellent group of coaches there. Uh, before we get more into Gonzaga basketball specifically, which I'm excited to chat about, uh, I kind of want to talk a little bit about the WNBA. The season is in full effect, obviously, as the college basketball season's in the offseason. Uh, it feels to me like there's a lot of interest in the WNBA this year. Maybe it's just uh, something I've noticed more, but it definitely does seem like we're starting to see some fan interest kind of grow with the league. I'm curious as somebody who has covered the league for a while, kind of what you have seen uh, as uh, as the WNBA has continued to, to grow. Well, you know, there are kind of two ways to measure it. And one is in a quantifiable way. And you can look and see that ratings are up considerably. Uh, that's been a continued trend that somehow happened even in the midst of the pandemic at a time mm -hmm. where you saw a lot of other Professional sports have ratings declines. Uh, the W has not. Uh, but I also think just you're seeing it in the zeitgeist. You know, look, I was at a Tribeca Film Festival film last night mm -hmm. that was all about the WNBA and the New York Liberty specifically. And again, you're seeing more and more of these projects make their way beyond the world that I live in mm -hmm. on a regular basis into the broader sports landscape and the broader cultural landscape. And so in both of those ways, they kind of one reinforces the other uh, and allow a greater audience to understand what is Courtney Vandersloot's excellence. <laughs> well, that's a perfect segue into what I want to talk about next, which is Courtney Vandersloot's excellence. Uh, she's at this point in the season, I think they're 13 games in for the sky, uh, averaging about 11 points, just over seven assists per game. Uh, sky are nine and four. Uh, I want to talk about Courtney's play so far this year and also talk about the sky. I, I think some people kind of thought that their win was a little bit fluky last year. I think they were a six seed, if I'm not mistaken, uh, made a really nice run to a w WNBA championship for Candace Parker in her hometown. Very, very cool. Uh, does this look like a team that's that's ready to prove that maybe it wasn't just a fluke last year and that they got a chance to, to, to do it again this year? It does. You know, I will tell you that from my perspective, it was more of 
a, all right, let's wait and see, than mm -hmm. an assumption that it was a fluke or an assumption mm -hmm. that they had made the leap, which is to say, when you go 16 and 16 during the regular season, mm -hmm. you get hot in the playoffs for a few weeks, you look at what's a, effectively a small sample size. And right. so I wanted to see what they were going to do. You know, certainly there was ample reason to believe this was a team that had figured some things out. Mm -hmm. Candace Parker getting the opportunity now to go through a full offseason and back in. And I think that's what they've done so far. You know, they're nine and four. They're mm -hmm. very much in play for a top four, if not a top two seed, which matters a great deal given the WNBA's playoff structure where the top two seeds uh, get uh, a double buy mm -hmm. and uh, the top four seeds get a buy uh, and avoid that play-in game, the five, eight, six, seven matchups that you have on the WNBA playoff side. All of that said, there's ample reason to think that Vandersloot and the Sky have an opportunity to continue uh, what they did last year. Vandersloot, of course, was no fluke. She mm -hmm. was not three weeks. Vandersloot, and this is one of my favorite stats in basketball, she is somehow north of 40% assist percentage. Now, each of the past six seasons, we've just, we've just never had anybody like that in terms of her ability to find teammates. You know, I, I, I hate that there's a part of me that really dislikes making comparisons for just in general, but also for female athletes to male athletes, because Courtney Vandersloot is Courtney Vandersloot. She's not anybody else, but it's really, really hard to not look at John Stockton comparisons because they both went to Gonzaga because Courtney routinely leads the league in assists per game on a, I think she's done it almost all of the last six seasons this year. She's at 7.2. That is the lowest since like 2015, which is just insane to me that she's averaging over eight assists per game for half a decade. That's not something that you see very often at this point. She is fourth in the WNBA in total assists in her, I believe age 32 season. Mm. Uh, I have a hard time imagining she's going to catch Sue Bird. Who's up at the top there for a long time, but uh, is there a realistic chance that Courtney is the second greatest passer uh, in WNBA history and kind of where do you think her legacy at this point is and maybe where it's going to end up by the time her career is over? Look, I think you can argue that she's the best. I think mm -hmm. there's absolutely an argument to be made for that. It's also worth noting that she is only 32 years old. Mm -hmm. So if she plays as long as Sue Bird did, mm -hmm. then lots of things are mm -hmm. in play. And no. the aging curves of the greatest mm -hmm. are not the same as the aging curves of the regular player. Yeah. So I think the jury is still very much out on that. I am a big believer in those comparisons. I just think you mm -hmm. make them both ways. Yeah. I think you can absolutely see. And by the way, it's not a surprise in some mm -hmm. instances, the NBA having a 50-year head start in the WNBA. Right. Sometimes when you're reaching for those comparisons, there mm -hmm. are going to be WNBA to NBA. But the yeah. fact of the matter is, the longer there is a WNBA, and we're now in mm -hmm. year 26, the reverse is going to be true. I, yeah. When when I saw Laurie Martinen playing at Arizona, mm -hmm. it was clear to me that Laurie Martinen's best comp was Emma Meesman. And mm -hmm. I used I used to make that in my draft coverage on the NBA side. So yeah. I just think that's the way in which we need to approach it. I've talked to WNBA players about this, people like Kelsey Plum, um, mm -hmm. who say, you know, look, it's one basketball. And it's certainly, if yeah. you go internally, it's the way the NBA players view it, it's the way the WNBA players view it. And there's no reason we should shy away from that as well.
I like that. I like that. Then that that's that's a good way to look at it. I think um, another player that I really wanted to talk about here, not a Gonzaga alum, although certainly related to Gonzaga. That's of course the ridiculous week that Sabrina Ionescu had uh, playing for the New York Liberty. She had a, her second career triple double, putting putting her on a list alongside Courtney Vandersloot and Candace Parker and very few other people who have had uh, two multiple triple doubles in their career. Uh, Sabrina's done it at the age of 24, which is just ridiculous. Uh, two of the only players in the 2000 point 1000 assist club in college, of course, Slute and UNESCO, both coached by Kelly Graves. Uh, I, it's hard for me to imagine that that's completely a fluke. Uh, obviously, Kelly has a lot to do with the development of these two uh, absolute superstar point guards. I'm curious uh, seeing the the talent that these two players have and of course the talent that many other players uh, the Sabali sisters among them Ruthie Hebbard another one from Oregon uh, that have kind of developed under coach Graves yeah Kelly was in town in New York he had very good seats uh, for the game last year. maybe he knows somebody I don't know but <laughs> I wonder Kelly was uh, in town to see Sabrina and he saw the lesser, I guess, of the two Sabrina efforts last week, because as you pointed out, the triple-double came in mm -hmm. Sunday's game against the Chicago Sky. All she did on Tuesday night uh, was shoot 10 for 11 for 26 points. Uh, you know, missed that shot. Pretty pretty embarrassing to, you know, only shoot 91% from the field. But, uh, you know, that's Sabrina. I mean, you point out she's 24 years old. She's 24 years old, but she also missed all but two and a quarter games of her rookie yeah. season with a massively difficult ankle injury. Uh, you know, one of the worst we've ever seen a player have that she tried to play through all of last year. Mm -hmm. So we are really only beginning to see and understand what Sabrina can do. And that is, I don't say lightly as somebody who covered her throughout college mm -hmm. and the opportunity to see what she was capable of. The Sabrina Ionescu's ceiling is through, I mean, it's, it's Sue Bird Plus, which I know yeah. is a ridiculous thing to say, but that's what we're talking about. Somebody who a little bit bigger and stronger than mm -hmm. Sue, comparable ability to find her teammates, you know, similar mm -hmm. uh, will to win, a similar sense of the moment, which is to me one of those things that's sort of the, Icing on the cake when you look at the very greatest players, the thing that helps separate them. And so you put that all together, and the fact that Sabrina is already holding her own doesn't begin to tell it when you're looking at her at age 24. Uh, really, the only thing missing from the New York Liberty uh, is another superstar to mm -hmm. pair with her. And there are several available this year in free agency, so we'll see what happens. If you haven't watched the highlights of Sabrina's game, uh, the first game against Minnesota when she had 26 points on 10 of 11 shooting, uh, not not some easy shots in there. She hit a half quarter uh, to end the buzzer uh, at, at halftime. She had a couple of very deep threes. It was a, again, the fact that that was her second best game of the week is is ludicrous uh, for so I, many reasons. <laughs> I talked to her after the game about it, and she mm -hmm. just felt like she was comfortable. She finally <laughs> feels comfortable out yeah. on the court. I wish that I produced. Worked like that when I felt comfortable. <laughs> yeah, that is absolutely ridiculous. We're going to come back in the second segment with Howard here, and we're going to talk about college hoops. We're going to talk a little bit more about Gonzaga's chances of taking the leap uh, the way that the men's program has. Uh, before we get there, though, I want to tell you all about Bet Online. College basketball may be over, but the NBA finals are still raging on, and the MLB, of course, the WNBA, and more continue into the summer. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it, BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all of the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. 
BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. They have lines for coaching changes across every major sport, so even in the offseason, you can get your fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still Locked On Zag, still here chatting with Howard Megdahl of Locked On Women's Basketball. Want to transition over to talking a little bit more about the college game, specifically women's college basketball. We've seen some growth in that area as well. We talked a little bit about the growth of the W and what's kind of going on with, with that league. Uh, it seems like women's college basketball has started kind of growing as well. Uh, one noticeable thing that has happened is that while they still win most of their games, UConn is not quite literally winning every single game that they're playing. We're seeing a little bit more parity in the women's game. Uh, do you think that's something that's kind of helping the sport sort of grow uh, as, a, as a consumer experience? If you would allow me to gently push back, yeah. I believe that UConn was particularly dominant mm-hmm. in the Brianna Stewart era. Yeah. And I think you can go back prior to Brianna Stewart's four years and four titles in four years, where she's a mm-hmm. transcendent generational player. And you can go back and see that there were other winners prior to that too, right? You know, the mm-hmm. you know, Baylor one uh, mm-hmm. with Brittany Griner. This was a period of time where Darry Blair won at Texas A&M. Yeah. Uh, that said, absolutely. I think mm-hmm. what we have seen is in the same way, and, and you can see this again and again, If you draw a line 40 years from men's basketball to -hmm. women's basketball, you see the same sort of development. It's not a surprise. The NCAA tournament uh, started in 1939 Mm -hmm. on the men's side. On the women's side, the AIAW starts in the mid-1970s. NCAA takes it over in 1982. And so again and again, what has happened in the women's game can be mirrored by what happened in the men's game. So. UConn is the John Wooden UCLA. Right. And wins 10 titles in 12 years. You try line 40 years on. What has happened subsequent to the end of Brianna Stewart's career? Something similar to what happened in the end of Bill Walton's career. Mm-hmm. And we've seen these other programs, you know, the David Thompsons, the uh, Magic Johnson, and Larry Bird. Well, it's the same thing with South Carolina, with what Mississippi State was able to grow and develop yeah. and do. Notre Dame winning another championship as well. Louisville is year in, year out in the Final Four. But you're also seeing, I know this ties into what we're talking about at Gonzaga, the fact that there are more and more talented players in the pipeline. And that means there are more and more players to go around and grow your programs. And so the Zags have an opportunity to grow and develop into a power, even in the mid-major. Well, Mm -hmm. there weren't mid-major powers in the men's game. If you go back 30 or 40 years, it just Mm -hmm. wasn't a a, a realistic thing. But what Mark Few has developed in Gonzaga has allowed him to do it. And now you're seeing more and more of those players. And quite frankly, you're seeing it in Gonzaga too. I think it matters for the game that Mm -hmm. there are multiple powers. I think it matters for the game that there are potentially more upsets in the women's NCAA tournament as well. I think Mm -hmm. all of this leads to greater growth. It also matters that there's a spotlight on it because these great stories have always been there. So if if women's basketball is on a similar trend to what has happened in the men's basketball on the NCAA side, then in theory, that means that there could be, there should be, there will be uh, the development of a potential mid-major powerhouse. Now, we know that Gonzaga's men's basketball program is incredibly unique. Very few, I mean, not very few, nobody has really done this to be 22 consecutive NCAA tournaments to turn from a very small school to 
the the legitimate powerhouse getting number one recruits. This, I mean, it's it's very very unprecedented. But in theory, uh, the women's basketball will probably start to see some more mid major programs establish themselves as at least consistent players in the NCAA tournament. My main question for that then is. Looking at Gonzaga's program, looking at what Coach Lisa Fortier has taken over from Coach Graves and the success that they have had, obviously BYU has been a, a significant thorn in their side in the WCC. That's not going to be the case for much longer as they move over to the Big 12. Does Gonzaga have a chance to, for lack of a better term, replicate what Gonzaga did on the men's side and kind of be uh, one of the more perennial powerhouses uh, out of the mid-major conferences? I don't think, and I know I have a receptive audience in saying this, that BYU would have necessarily stood in uh, Lisa Fortier's program's mm -hmm. way regardless. Let's yeah. not forget who won the WCC title <laughs> and it came down to it. You know, this mm -hmm. is a program that added Brenna Maxwell. They mm -hmm. added Destiny Burton. There yeah. is a lot of talent in Gonzaga mm -hmm. year in and year out. And I absolutely believe they are poised to dominate the WCC, mm -hmm. which is a fantastic conference and people yeah. overlook it at their peril. So mm -hmm. for me, I, I'm very bullish about mm -hmm. what they're able to do. And, and you're right. Absolutely. Kelly Graves helped to lay the groundwork here, but mm -hmm. it, it's no different than any other college program on the men's mm -hmm. side or the women's side. Right. Yeah. It is simply you need to do the work. You need to build the program and then you need to make sure that you continue to grow on it and yeah. and you know so I, I just don't think it's as simple as saying well kelly did this or is mm -hmm. lisa needs to do this i think you know the answer is everybody has yeah. come together to make them a program but i i hope i hope that there is an understanding at the highest levels of Gonzaga mm -hmm. athletics that they have a chance to absolutely replicate mm -hmm. on the women's side what they have on the men's side if not exceed it yeah it's been remarkable to see the way that they just continue to reload with talent. You know, you lose the Worth twins who are fantastic. You lose Jill Townsend, you lose Zakira Rice, all, Laura Stockton all over the past couple of years and continue to reload. You get a Sierra Walker, uh, you get now Maxwell, like you said, out of Utah, like they're continuing to just grow and develop and stay on this path. Um, we're talking a little bit about transfers uh, and I kind of wanted to, to touch on that topic a little bit. It's been obviously one of the biggest probably the second biggest outside of NIL significant development uh, in the college game uh, across every sport. Uh, we've seen the transfer portal pick up in women's basketball. Uh, I know we've talked about Coach Graves a lot, but the, the Oregon women's basketball team lost a ton of talent this year. Uh, yeah. A lot of uh, freshmen last year on that team have transferred out. Uh, I'm curious, as we talk about parity in women's basketball specifically, how much of an impact do you think the transfer portal has had on that? It's kind I mean, of early, but, you know, I'm curious. It's enormous. I mean, here's what we know. It has changed fundamentally the way this all works. What we don't know is who are the big winners and the big losers out of it, mm -hmm. you know? And that may, because it has changed, because it is so fluid, just be different year to year. Right. You know, I, I, I've seen it week to week. You've mm -hmm. seen fans whiplash. Uh, University of Maryland lost a bunch of players in the transfer portal. Mm -hmm. And everyone, oh my God, the sky is falling on Brenda Freeze. And then a week later, they added a whole bunch of great talent. Mm -hmm. And oh, <laughs> they're going to be, you know, their usual 26 and four selves next right. year. You know, there's just, it's impossible to know. In the same way that, like, I, you know, playing for Kelly Graves, mm -hmm. you'll be fine. You know, mm -hmm. Kelly, yeah. Kelly has an elite offense. Kelly mm -hmm. coaches extremely well. He coaches up his mm -hmm. team. So, mm -hmm. I weep not for Telly Graves in Oregon. They're going to be mm -hmm. just fine. Right. Uh, but what it does mean is this. 
the players who stay for four years are exponentially more valuable because you have continuity and an understanding of a right. system uh, that obviously became of greater significance on the men's side back mm -hmm. when one and done became the rule, the yeah. law of the land. Yep. And so we saw that happen and we saw a massive change and a lot of teams able to make runs because they had people they were able to keep together. Well, if you're a coach who's able to keep your core together for that period of time, you have that added benefit because there is no one and done on the women's game. And so the impact that's going to have is going to matter. And culture, which is an overused word, but culture is going to matter because you need to have people who have bought in on an emotional level. So they stick around so that when Coach X is in your ear saying, hey, you can come get more shots by coming to play for me, that that doesn't change anything. And so it's going to be fascinating to see, but it changes the job, too. It does. It makes it more of a player's lead to mm -hmm. you know, use that phrase as well, even though it's mm -hmm. not strictly speaking a lead in NCAA women's basketball. And I don't view that as a bad thing. Coaches have been able to leave and go wherever they want. I don't see freedom as a problem. Mm -hmm. uh, what I do see it as is a fundamental shift. That's yep. for sure. And, it, and it's paired kind of perfectly with the other big fundamental shift, which is the new NIL rules, which allow student athletes to profit off their name image likeness. I've been around for almost exactly a year now. Uh, there was a lot of conversation about how NIL was going to impact uh women's sports specifically, there was some concern that maybe because, you know, football and men's basketball are the big money makers for the NCAA that maybe women's athletes wouldn't benefit as much. Uh, there's also some indication that that's not the case. And in fact, it's almost the opposite of the case that there's not a widening gap between the male athletes of those sports and the women's athletes. Uh, again, in, in one year, uh, what kind of have you seen for, for how women, female athletes uh, on the women's basketball side have kind of navigated this space? I have seen that once again, when a free and unfettered market is allowed to take root mm -hmm. and people are not putting the thumb on the scale of uh, male athletics, mm -hmm. that there is a market for elite women's athletes. Yep, absolutely. And that just seems to happen again and again and again. Mm -hmm. And when we see the gap, you can almost always look to the input <laughs> to determine how it has happened. Yeah. And there are people who either out of ignorance or out of bad faith or some combination therein yeah. are eager to ignore the input yeah. and try and tell us that there's something significant from the outcome alone. Mm -hmm. But I think the nail on the head that is not, again, turned out to be the case yeah. when female athletes are allowed to. Howard, I want to talk, switch over a little bit and talk more about uh, your career specifically uh, and the work you've done with uh, with the Next and with the sites that you have started. Uh, I happen to know uh, that you your career began covering the uh, covering baseball and talking about the New York Mets specifically, uh, doing some blogging over there. I know you still contribute at Baseball Prospectus, but I'm curious, kind of, what led you down the path to to ending up starting the site uh, and doing a lot more coverage of not just women's basketball but women's sports in general. Well, I appreciate that. And for those who are listening, I will, if you'll permit me just to explain the next hoops.com. We are a 24 seven women's basketball newsroom uh, that includes things like locked on women's basketball, which is a daily podcast. We have mm -hmm. over at playback. We have weekly watch parties on the WNBA with women's college basketball to come this fall. Mm -hmm. And we do that very clearly because for some reason, there are large portions of sports media that don't think that women's basketball is a 24-7, 365 endeavor. So mm -hmm. we take great pleasure in both providing that service 
and proving those people wrong every single day. Uh, the Nine newsletter, T-H-E-I-X-Sports.com, uh, covers six different women's sports every week, providing a voice, a platform, ending the silo effect between women's sports. The fact that if you follow Steph Curry, you know about Pat Mahomes because men's sports is packaged together. So often right. women's sports is individualized in this way. And we wanted to end that and bring those audiences together. And with our open rates north of 40% on every one of our emails, <laughs> it's proof that that is how people want to experience it as well. But the short answer to a question that is essentially the last 10, 15 years of my career is that once you see these massive inequalities. If you're me, you mm -hmm. can't unsee them. And what am I going to do about it? And for a while, it was shifting my freelance work to making sure that I was covering women's sports in places, you know, the New York Times, Washington Post, Sports Illustrated. But at a certain point, you need to build the infrastructure. You need there to be a pipeline for this coverage so the everyday is covered. And you need to make sure that there is a young group of people who don't look like us. <laughs> that there is a young group of people yep. who are more women, who are yep. disproportionately more women of color, who are mm -hmm. not men in this space yep. getting the opportunities to do it. And so if I can, by virtue of that work, mentor mm -hmm. these people to come be a larger part of the industry, and I can make sure that they are getting the reps to do it, because when the coverage isn't happening, those reps mm -hmm. are simply not possible, right. then I'll be damned if I was going to stop until we achieved it. And so- yep. We're trying to develop, build our subscriber base. We get to a core minimum of subscriber bases. Everyone can be hired full time. Mm -hmm. And we can make sure that this work is done day after day after day until they carry me out of a press room someday. <laughs> well, the next hoops.com, like Howard said, uh, you can subscribe to the newsletter. I get it. You get a couple emails a day. You get a little preview of the articles. It's fantastic. It's a really, really great way to get uh, easy coverage on, on women's sports. Uh, you can click on the articles. Obviously, if you want to read a little bit more, you can read the headlines. It's fantastic uh, either way. Uh, obviously, Howard, one of the big stories in, in sports in recent years has been a movement specifically by women's athletes. Uh, we've seen it a lot with women's soccer players. We've also seen it with many women's basketball players as well. Some in college, Sedona Price as a primary example at Oregon, some who are professional who have really advocated for, for better pay, for better working conditions, for for equality in, in a lot of ways, uh, in, in ways that they were not previously getting, because as you said, there was a thumb on the scale there. Uh, as somebody who's now gotten to cover that and really gotten to be uh, intimately involved with that process and kind of seeing these athletes advocate for, for what they deserve, what has that kind of been like just witnessing it for you? And how do you see it kind of continuing to, to, to go uh, as these women's athletes continue to have these fights? I don't think there's any going back. I mean, it's been beautiful to witness. Sedona Prince, I, I love, by the way. She was mm -hmm. uh, at the Final Four for Together, which is yeah. a wonderful outlet uh, that I highly recommend, uh, started by my good friend Jess Robertson. Uh, and was, you know, so now she's one of us. She's in the media, too, which mm -hmm. I really love. Um, a, a rare media member taller than me. I'm six foot three. She's six foot seven. But <laughs> the, the reality of it is that we have moved from a period of fear, of mm -hmm. worrying and somebody who's covered the NWSL, for instance, National Women's Soccer League from its earliest days, uh, from worrying that the league would go away mm -hmm. to not being willing to stand for unequal treatment. Mm -hmm. And so there's no putting that genie back in the bottle, nor should there be. And making sure that there is that effort going forward, I think, is going to make an enormous difference because it recasts the way even skeptics, even critics are allowed to think about this, the mm -hmm. idea that 
there's some middle ground that involves unsustainable working conditions, but hey, at least there's a lead. That's no longer going to be sufficient mm -hmm. to the people who power this league. At the end of the day, the players. And so I think it is fundamental to see that shift. We've seen it in women's soccer. We've seen it in the WNBA. And we've seen it across college athletics as well. Uh, it's something that I just think will continue to compound, build on itself in terms of the successes to come. Howard, last question for you before I let you go. Uh, without being too cheeky on how I ask it, uh, what is next for the next? What, what's, what's coming up uh, for, the, for the future of the site? I'm so glad you asked that. So again, I would urge all of you to go ahead and check out that you can go to playback mm -hmm. and you can be part of our watch party tonight. We're going to have shows all week at Lockdown Women's Basketball where you can listen to what we have to say and you should subscribe every single day. Our staff at the next comes together to talk about it. Everyone there in the arenas. You know, they're breaking the news. We break the news. There were three breaking news stories last week in the WNBA. My staff at the next, we did all three of them. We broke that news. So, yeah. you know, forgive me. I'm very proud of what yeah, they do absolutely. every single moment of every single day. And we have a fantastic project about the WBL. The WBL is a precursor to the WNBA. It existed from 1979 through 1981. You do the math on it. If you're playing pro at that time, that means that Title IX, which was signed into law this month, 50 years ago, 1972, those are the pioneers creating the WBL. We're telling those stories. We had a kickoff piece by Natalie Hevern. It was wonderful, well worth your time, giving people the background, the basics of it. We're going to be talking to WBL pioneers all year in 2021. We have a great subsection that's being run by T. Baker. They're doing an incredible job with our staff. I, you know, what's next for the next? More than I could ever summarize, more than I could mm -hmm. ever say. Subscribe and come see. That's my best advice. Howard, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, folks, you can follow Howard at Howard Megdahl on Twitter. Please go check out the next. I will post links to these uh, to the website, to some of these articles uh, in the in the show notes here. So click on that if you haven't yet. Uh, Howard, anything else that you wanted to plug before I let you go? Just I'm happy to be here and would be happy mm -hmm. to join you anytime, Andy. I'm uh, a, a big proponent of what the Zads are building. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, folks, we got a lot more fun stuff coming this week. We've got another interview. We got one coming with a former Zag player who's now in the coaching ranks right here on the Locked On Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts and, of course, available on YouTube as well. All right. Thank you all for listening and go Zags.